Welcome to the Reframers Podcast. Arguing with friends and fam about politics is hard. New plan. Let's reframe what it means to discuss and disagree by talking and listening to each other. We're the Reframers. Oh, no AC in San Francisco. <laughs> no. What'd you say it is there? It's like 93 in San Francisco. That's awful for no AC. Well, it's like our, our apartment's fairly cool, so it's mostly fine, but it's, yeah, un- very unusual. That's very hot. It's 102 here, but that's not unusual. 102. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just making it through, sweating in a closet. Yep. How's Dally doing in the heat? He's good. He can't walk outside on days like this because he can't have his little paws on the ground. He doesn't know that, though, so he's mad. (laughs) He's, like, bitter about it, but I'll walk him when we get done recording. Maybe he'll forgive me. Poor guy. He forgives easily. Yeah. I, like, put his – I gave him all his food. Like, here you go. Right at five. He looked at me like, this isn't what I want, and you know it. (laughs) (laughs) So he's having some little sassy teenage angst. Oh, a lot of sass. Right now he's being good. He's just laying down being good. Good boy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Reframers podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Cassie, and I'm joined with my co-hosts, Aaron and Zach. Today we're going to be talking about healthcare. Who's ready? Healthcare, really big topic. We're excited to tackle this one. It's been requested for us to cover. Finally, this week, we're going to tackle healthcare. Healthcare has made me nervous, not because it's so controversial in my mind, but more because I feel like I know nothing about healthcare. I know it costs a lot, and I know that I have it. That's about it. Yeah, and hopefully we can break it down and and educate at least a little bit, answer some questions from the audience, and hopefully clear some things up so people understand this issue better. Yeah, and I don't think that healthcare makes a lot of sense to almost anyone. And it's partly because there's a lot of economics involved in it. And so it's, it is actually really hard to understand. I mean, just personally interacting with insurance companies in the healthcare system is hard for us when we need to go to the doctor. And so then to understand how the whole system works, I think it can be really intimidating. And we are not conquering that today, but we're going to try and get in and explain some of it, how some of this works, and then why there's a debate about how we do it. Okay, listeners, just to give you some context, I sent Zach and Aaron a few questions earlier this week that they've used to prepare an outline. So the questions I asked them that we're going to talk about today are, how do you get insurance here in the United States? Why is it so expensive? And really, why do people disagree about how healthcare should work? Where are people finding places to argue about this? I love it. Let's jump right in with question number one. How do you get healthcare? How do we get health insurance? Okay, so healthcare comes from actually a variety of places. And I think this is something that we don't always realize because most of us get our health care through our employer. And that is how the majority of Americans get health care right now. It's required, well, it's not actually required even for your employer to provide it, but most employers do as a benefit. Otherwise, you can get health care through the public system. So say if you're in California, you can buy it uh, from the government, basically, for undercovered California is our system here. You can get it in other states under other programs. But there's also different ways to get it if you fall into certain categories. So if you're over 65, you're going to qualify for Medicare. 
and you'll receive your health insurance through Medicare. And that's all federally funded. It's an insurance-based system. And then if you're a veteran, you get it through the VA, which is also government-run healthcare. And then if you're poor, you can get a partly federally funded insurance that is state-run called Medicaid. So those are kind of the big picture, different ways that you can get healthcare. And if you'll notice, they're actually all different systems. Some of them are government funded, and then some of them are privately funded. So you'll see we already have kind of a mixed system in the United States. Yeah, and we can talk more on this, but I think I'll say that one of the main reasons why, or one of the main answers to question two is actually the answer for question one. Why is it so expensive in the United States is partly in reason because there are so many mixed systems in part, but we can continue and and address that more later. Yeah, I actually don't know if everyone would even agree with that, but it's because there's other countries who have mixed systems and it's still cheaper. Um, One thing I do want to mention, though, just with employment-based healthcare. um, So I said that there isn't a requirement for employers to provide healthcare, and there's not. But under the Affordable Care Act, which was the big healthcare law that um, Congress passed during Obama's uh, term, there's these big penalties if you're an employer who has over 50 employees and you don't provide health care. So that's where the, a lot of the motivation kind of comes from for at least the larger employees. And they're pretty significant penalties. Um, for 2022, the penalty is $2,750 per employee for uh, if you don't provide health insurance. So most employers are going to provide their health insurance. And then because large employers provide it, it's sort of a competition thing. Other employers want to provide it so that people will work for them. And we do, even though it's not legally required, everyone pretty much expects that their job is going to provide health insurance. And so, and it's a big reason why you would maybe go to one job and not another one. So just as a side note, I left my job a couple months ago. So now I am in the self-employed space, which is very exciting. And there's a lot I could talk about there. But one of the big things that I was just talking about with Aaron the other day was, thank God I happen to be a person who's married to somebody whose company provides insurance. And that insurance covers me because being self-employed and insuring yourself is pretty much a nightmare. It's hard. It's expensive. Anecdotally, I have a friend who is also self-employed and injured while she was in another state. And so the insurance that she pays for for herself out of her own pocket, didn't like want to cover her injury that she got out of state. Like it was this huge mess. And it. I have a lot I want to talk about. I want to talk about some of the more controversial things with you guys, if we can jump to that a little bit. Like why are people upset about healthcare? Why do people disagree? I don't feel like I ever hear anybody talk about it's great in the United States. The United States has good health care. I'm so glad I have health care. I mean, are old people happy? Like, are they super happy with their system? Is it just us down here who aren't happy? Is it is it split super clearly along party lines? I'm interested to know. You are asking questions I don't have the answers to. I'm sorry. I don't know public opinion polls on yeah. like the elderly versus millennials as far as health insurance. But we are unhappy with our system. That is true. And more unhappy than other countries. I saw a statistic that was um, asking if the public opinion on if you think our entire healthcare system needs to be redone, basically. And 26% of Americans agreed with that. 
11% of people in the UK agree with that on their healthcare system. So more than twice the amount of Americans than people in the UK thought that our system needs to a total overhaul. Um, and that's just like one example. I think that we all have issues. And the biggest issue that always comes up is why is it so expensive, right? Like that's the thing that mm-hmm. everyone is complaining about and wants to know. We're at a certain age where a lot of the people around us are starting families. And so I hear from my friends, some of which are female, and they're talking about maternity leave and the cost to have a baby and what that costs naturally versus a C-section, the recovery, and then coming in after the baby and, and having to deal with checkups for the baby and all these different things that are so expensive. I know stories from people who are able to give birth overseas. It's completely covered. I don't understand. I'm not trying to be just sit here and be ranty. I just genuinely don't get how can another, how can other or most of the other wealthy countries in the world provide their citizens with healthcare and we can't? Are we, are we locked into something that was a bad decision a long time ago? Like, do, do we vote for this? Did we vote wrong? What happened? So a lot of the other countries, I mean, I, I don't know you, I think you would have to be more specific to say what countries, because you know, some countries do have what's called a single payer um, system, which is basically state run insurance. So you would get your your medical coverage through the state, the state would run the not necessarily the doctors, you know, in the hospitals and, and those things, but they would run the insurance through which you would get your health care. It's like UK, Canada, those countries are the I think the most prominent that we cite in terms of, of universal coverage or single payer coverage. Um, but countries like Switzerland, um, you know, one of the wealthiest countries in the world does not have that model and also still has basically, you know, universal coverage. It's just not through the state. So there's different models depending on where you go. But the reason why I think the system is so expensive as it is, is because we're not really operating in a free market environment and we're not really operating in a state run environment. We're in this weird dystopian nightmare of a mixed system where there's no price transparency. So um, I think I I saw a statistic that there is a federal law that requires hospitals to post their prices, but only 5.6% of actual facilities were in compliance with that. That law is changing this year um, to uh, come into effect across the board. Um, But we don't, we don't have like free competition in price. We also, um, some reason forbid um, coverage across state boundaries. So like my, my insurance that we get through California cannot be extended if I happen to live in a different state. So there's, there's no even competition among across state boundaries. But then the real thing is that you have, because I'm paying insurance through my employer and then the employer, um, you know, pays the insurance company and then the insurance company is billed by the hospital Like there's not any direct, you know, when I go into a store and I buy a product, I'm interfacing with the person providing the product. But with healthcare, we have this third party system. And so my, I don't know, I don't even see the cost that comes out of my paycheck each week, right? I get paid and that's like a direct deposit into my bank, but I'm not seeing how much is coming out each week in terms of my healthcare insurance. So I, I don't, that's a hidden thing for me. The insurance company doesn't care how much 
they get billed. It actually is in their benefit to bill higher because they can rake in more money and premiums go up, which premiums have increased a drastic amount over the last 20 years. Um, and it benefits the hospitals to not have these things because they can, you know, in some cases, um, they mark up things 10 times what it actually costs. And they know that I'm not going to be critical because I'm not paying the bill. My insurance provider is. So I think it's this really bad mix of, of systems and incentive structures that are in place that makes this. So we have, you know, a hundred dollars for one ad bill. Like that's, that's outrageous. That's really interesting. So there are other countries that have mixed systems, you know, for want of a better word. And I, I use that as publicly funded and then also privately funded. Because I think that's kind of what you're getting at. We're not really fully publicly funded and we're not fully privately funded. But there's other countries who use a system like that and it actually works really well. Like, for example, the Netherlands does something like that and they actually have a lot of the sort of market-based approach. But there's all these requirements that I think wouldn't go over in the US. Like you're still required to buy insurance, which is a thing that like, a lot of people, I think, especially on the right, really don't like. They don't want that requirement. But one of the reasons why the healthcare system works in, Nether in the Netherlands is because people are required to buy into it. So that's like one of the things that I think is different, even with these mixed systems. Germany also has sort of this mixed system. They're really interesting. I actually really like Germany's model. But what they do is it is publicly funded up to an income point. And you pay 15%, which is a lot of your income for this public program for healthcare. And then once you reach a certain salary threshold, you're required to buy your own insurance and it's all private. So that's, and you can always buy, if you have the publicly funded program, you can buy kind of like add-on insurance if you want like extra insurance benefits. So that's the way Germany runs it. And um, Germany is one of those countries that gets pointed to a lot for having a really good healthcare system that people generally really like, um, like people in the country generally really like their system. So that's, you know, I think that the way we're doing it is clearly like not working, but I don't know that it's necessarily because it's this mix of things. What I did find and what I want to follow up on that you said, Zach, is the way it works with insurance companies kind of coming in and facilitating payment and that kind of thing, that's one of our biggest costs. It's one of the reasons why healthcare is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Our administration costs, and that's what that is, administration, are like twice what most countries spend on administration. It's huge, a huge amount of cost. It's one third of our spending on healthcare in the United States is on administration. Totally. I just wanted to clarify if people maybe are confused by that. That's not me paying, you know, a doctor or an anesthesiologist or something like that for their services. That's the cost of the, you know, bureaucrat or whatever who's at the insurance company dealing with the finance people from the hospital on, okay, you know, patient Zach Marr went in and had these things done. So how much, you know, the hospital is charging this much and then all the negotiating that happens between the hospital and the insurance provider. So that's that's what we mean by administration, where it's not it's not the service actually that you benefit. It's all of the auxiliary things to support it. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one way we could really 
cut healthcare costs, but then you have to deal with like, what do you do with insurance? And that's kind of the, the biggest question I think right now is how do we insure people and how do we make it efficient? But the administration costs is clearly one of the biggest issues and it goes into how expensive healthcare is. Another reason that I found, and this is not going to surprise anyone because I think this is our go-to reason, is greed and price gouging, which is definitely a problem in the United States. So for example, the US price for insulin is 10 times higher than Canada, 10 times higher than Canada. And um, Blue Cross Blue Shield, I saw something they had saying that between 2010 and 2025, they expect prescription drug prices to increase by 136%. So that's 15 years, 136% increase. And that's just talking about prescription drugs. And pharmaceuticals are a whole other part of this that are also problematic. But it's not just about drugs. Prestigious hospitals charge multiple times what other hospitals charge for the same services. And so with our system of, you know, you kind of go to the hospital for one that you can afford and also that's in your area. And if the only hospital in your area is one that is more expensive, you're going to end up paying more. A solution to this is potentially to have more competition, but attempts to do this have been really unsuccessful so far because people go where physicians direct them to go. Like we trust our doctors and we trust their recommendations and it's really difficult. I think it's really difficult for people to go compare medical services and medical prices for everything you need to get done medically. You know, the idea of having lists and competition everywhere is fine, but are you really going to do that if your leg is broken? You know, you're going to go wherever you need to go to get that fixed. Um, so that's one of the the problems. And also related to that is there's no price regulation, particularly for these prescription drugs. So most European countries have price regulations for pharmaceuticals. Um, almost all of them do. But and that doesn't mean that there's not still competition. There's just price caps on all the on the different drugs. So they can't be above a certain amount. And then I have one other thing that I think contributes. And for, for reference, um, a lot of this information is from a professor from Harvard called David Cutler. He's an economics professor. And these are reasons that he laid out um, that I found really convincing. The other thing that he said was that one of the problems with the U.S. system is that it's actually very technically advanced. It's very sophisticated, which in some ways is a good thing, and in some ways is bad because it's this overutilization of these services that we don't need as much. So, for example, we have four times the number of MRI machines as Canada for our general population. And we have three times the number of cardiac surgeons. But Americans don't go, they don't need MRIs more often than Canadians do. We don't need cardiac surgeons more often than Canadians do. Our heart attack survival rate is not better than other countries. And so we kind of have some of these really high-level services that are more lucrative, like cardiac surgeries and MRIs are more lucrative for hospitals. But we actually don't need them as much as we need things like primary care, but that's not as lucrative. And so the incentives are not good for the types of services that actually would make us healthier as a population. And so we invest on these in these kind of higher technological medical services when really we need to actually utilize better services that are not as lucrative. 
So that's another problem that we have that drives up costs. So those are the kind of those are the different things that I found that are really contributing to how expensive healthcare is. I have a few more things to add, but I just want to clear up because I don't think that the reason it's expensive is because it's split. I think it 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 is maybe a contributing factor, but I think that the system that we have where I don't even get to choose because me being told by my employer, here's what insurance plan we offer is not really even a choice, right? That's that's somebody deciding for me. So I don't I think that the system where even our private insurance, you know, that private insurance option is still not really free market. So that's where I think the main like that's where I think the costs and the inflation comes in. Not inflation because people are using that word in the correct sense now because we have inflation, but the bloating of the price comes in because the system is not 100% free market. But um, I also, you know, one of the things that I think that contributes to our high cost of healthcare in this country is that we're not a healthy country. Um, I I watched a video by um, Dr. Marty McCary, who was talking about how we are the most um, obese, medicated, and comorbid population on the planet. And so if you have a very unhealthy population um, that he he says, you know, two thirds of adults were considered obese in 2014. So that's a long time ago. Um, in the last year, doctors prescribed 5 billion different drugs and uh, comorbidity, um, something like he mentioned type two diabetes is increasing at a rate of 4.2% per year. So we have these things where we're at this confluence of we're not a healthy population. And instead of doctors prescribing and working with patients over a long period of time for improving their health by diet and exercise and these things, it's, oh, we have a pill for that. Because that is a huge incentive for doctors to prescribe pills because sometimes there's kickbacks, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's, I think, another reason why we have such a a high cost is because we have a very unhealthy population. I know we probably have some people listening that learned that word during the pandemic, um, but just in case you don't know, a comorbidity, which Zach mentioned that we are one of the nations that is comorbid. Is that what you said, Zach? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're most comorbid. Comorbidity is the simultaneous presence of two or more diseases or medical conditions in a patient. So that could be a cardiovascular comorbidity and age. Those are two examples it gives here. And typically comorbidities are things that are not emergency, right? Like Aaron mentioned, you know, you, you're not going to price check for if your leg is broken. That's for sure the case, right? If you need emergency care, you're going to go probably to the closest place there is. But for, you know, um, chronic issues, which tend to be comorbidities, right? If you're um, suffering from any kind of long-term chronic illness, those are things that that would benefit from having price transparency and having a little bit of of competition, um, 75% of healthcare costs go to these chronic, um, illnesses, chronic diseases, um, which is just insane, right? I mean, that's if, imagine if we had a a healthier population, um, that's a huge chunk of, of health coverage that is, you know, able to be reduced by not spending so much on these things. And one of the things that he was mentioning was diabetes that a lot of patients that are um, suffering from type two can get off their insulin if they improve their diet. 
um, you know, eating in the, in the way that's nourishing and, and all of these things. And so, um, that, that we have to consider that because we're not, we're seeing a huge skyrocketing of prices. We're seeing a big increase in insurance premiums and there has to, we have to do something because at an individual level and at a policy level, that's my, my thinking. It can't just be policy. We also have to take individual actions as well. Right. There's obviously always individual responsibility in most of these cases. Anything we could talk about, gun control, education, drug abuse, we can always come back down on a micro level and say, if you take better care of yourself, the kind of medical um, help you might need might be lower and then you won't need to spend so much money. That's true. But what about people, like you said, with chronic illness or something that they're born with, a mental disorder, things that are always going to be a cost? Like we still need an answer or answers for people like that who, and honestly, I've so many people that I've heard of who, some of the people that I don't, you know, follow or talk too much anymore after 2020 and 2021 talking about how they shouldn't have to get the vaccine cuz they'll just they'll just risk it cuz they believe themselves to be healthy enough. They definitely seemed from the outside to have comorbidities. So I think it's hard too because the system it, for people who might be making the wrong call or like voting wrong or, or assuming incorrectly that they would be safe. Um like they still deserve as humans to be protected if an emergency did befall them and they needed healthcare. Like they don't deserve to be gouged. Okay. I, re- I want to follow up on what you just said, Cass, but I also want to sidebar real quick on something Zach said earlier, which was about, you know, our health as a population, because it really ties to the amount of money that we spend on healthcare. This is one of the big critiques of our system. It's, it is one of the most expensive ones in the world and our health is not better for it. Um, and so I just, I, I think it's important to recognize how true that is. So in 2019, 16.8% of the U.S.'s GDP was spent on healthcare. In contrast, Germany, Switzerland, France, and Japan were all between 11 to 11.7%. And the next seven countries after that were between 10 and 10.9%. Like we spend way more on our healthcare than pretty much any other country, even proportionally. And we have one of the lowest life expectancies in the developed world. This is like not new, like you've probably heard this. This is a thing that comes up in debates about healthcare all the time. But I wanted to like just mention it and say like that's absolutely true. That is how it's working right now. Um, and just for reference, this is from uh, data from the UN Population Division. The United States right now is ranked 46 in life expectancy. 46. And before us is Hong Kong is actually first. It's not a separate country, but Hong Kong is the most uh, healthy, and then Japan. And then Switzerland is four, Italy six, Spain seven. I could go on and on, but like we're down at 46. So whatever we're doing, it's not working. And I think this goes back to like kind of the initial question of like, why is everyone so frustrated with healthcare? It's because we're not actually getting better care and it's so expensive. And okay, so that's that sidebar because I do think it's really interesting and it's something that comes up all the time. So you have to be able to be like informed about it. But then going on to your point, Cassie, of 
what do we do with people? Sorry, should we, should we pause responses to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think that we have we have really good first rate care. You know what I mean? I think that actually the, the care is really good, but we have, I would say it's more than a health care problem that we have. It's more of like a cultural and societal problem of, of our lifestyle and, and, you know, those types of things that I think if you stack up comorbidity on top of comorbidity, you can't, you can't fix that with a pill or with a surgery. It's, it's, then it becomes a part of your system. And so I think that like, while we have, you know, doctors and surgeons and, and all these things that are, you know, first rate, they can't fix 40 years of, of, you know, neglecting your body and, and treating yourself in bad health. I, I think of Dwight's line from the office of, you know, oh, you, you know, Phyllis says to Dwight, oh, you, you nearly killed Stanley. And Dwight says, yeah, because I forced him to fill his veins with fat and sugar for 40 years and forced him not to exercise. Like, I just wanted to say that because I agree with you. I think that that is a, a it's something that people always dock our system with, but I think the the system can only do so much. It's up to the patient at a certain point. So I just wanted to add that on. But other than that, I totally agree. Sure. And I don't disagree with that, but I think it begs the question on what our healthcare system is actually doing then, because you could make the argument that the healthcare system should also be more concerned about people's long-term health and nutrition and that education. So there's personal responsibility and there absolutely is. But also, is our healthcare system Dude, so advanced and so great if it's not addressing those problems? You know, like, yeah, we have top-rate care, but it is it actually the care that we really need, which is like long-term nutritionists and education, especially for populations that don't have this information the way other populations do. 100%. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I have a one-liner. I, I, my earlier comment, Aaron. I think my earlier one-liner was going to be that sometimes I, I feel like it when I hear this, it sounds like this argument sounds like something people are hiding behind. That's not actually true to me. It sounds like people are saying, "Well, if people would take better care of themselves, we would have a healthier nation." And like, it's not the industry's fault that we're unhealthy. But in my opinion, if we were all more mad about these things that are like the wolves being pulled over our eyes and, and the people in power that are being greedy and that are absolutely taking advantage of us down here, if more of us were mad about it and willing to take the responsibility, but also talk about it out loud together and not just point the finger at our fellow unhealthy friends. I think if there were more of us talking about it, then we could demand better. I feel like the same thing for all these different systems where it's like, we don't have an education system that is without flaws. Like we don't have a healthcare system without flaws. Like we have a lot that we could work on and do better if we would demand some of the people up high to actually do better. I hope that you don't think that that's what I'm I'm saying that oh we if we just no, have a healthier people like we don't need to fix any of the things that are wrong. I think we definitely need to fix problems with our healthcare system but also I think in the meantime we also have to do the work on our end as well. Yeah, you know this kind of reminds me of the conversation we had way back when we talked about COVID and just the response of yes, we need to like be very safe and do masks and everything but there wasn't this public health response of yeah, also everyone should be eating healthier and exercising and getting out in the sun and like making your immunity better. Like there was not a lot of emphasis on 
any of that. And that could have potentially been really helpful, you know, and an opportunity to educate the population about ways that you can be healthier. And maybe we all think we kind of know it, but maybe we don't. And that's one of the problems is maybe we're taking it for granted that we understand how to eat healthier, have the means to be able to do so. And maybe this is a gap that I have, but I think that democratic liberal side of me is rearing its head a lot during a conversation like this and feeling like the system should be designed to keep us healthy and safe and protect us. And I feel like, yes, I hear your argument about this is like us talking about COVID. I feel like it's like us talking about gun control. Like we all have a personal responsibility to use our guns safely and teach our families and teach our kids and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, there are lots of people lobbying up at the top and making gun laws and decisions and pushing and pulling with their money and their power and their influence to push and move things in a direction that affects all of us down here way more than us just operating our own weapons safely. That's what I'm saying. I think that it's what you're saying is interesting. I'm just acknowledging that I think I'm almost unable to hear it because I think it's so frustrating the level of influence and and wrongness that's being like pushed down from the top like our little tiny changes are not they are no match for that i was just gonna say it's kind of like when you're checking out the grocery store and they want you to donate like one dollar to the environment and you're like you're a multi-billion dollar company like what are you doing you know it's like one of those things but i wonder also Cass, if you're picking up on i think some of this really goes to how you feel about the right to health and the right to healthcare, you know? And I, if you think that it's a universal human right that you have healthcare and that you get medical care when you need it and that it doesn't financially destroy you, which honestly is the approach that many other countries have taken, then you're going to get a lot more worked up about people not having that. You know, no one really thinks that you should be in thousands of dollars of medical debt. Like, I don't... I. Maybe people on the crazy fringes, but I can't imagine. Like, that is not a thing that, like, Republicans are arguing for. But there is a point of, well, you know, if it's too expensive, then we're not going to do it. And I think that's where it can be really frustrating because it's like, okay, you are choosing money over someone's life potentially. And we've chosen to fund other things that are more profitable and we are giving money to pharmaceutical companies that we don't need to do. And there are ways that we could regulate this. And so I I hear you, Cassie, I'm feeling really frustrated if you think that this is like a human right that you have, which I do, you're not going to be for this like deregulation or not addressing the issue. Or for me, it's getting rid of Obamacare with no plan in place to deal with it. Like that was super frustrating for like many years. So I I hear you. And I I think I resonate with that too. All right, everybody, you heard Erin. She brought it up, not me. The next question off the cuff is, do we believe that people in the United States have a right to healthcare? Or, Or what's the flip side of that, I guess? On like a basic constitutional level, I actually think you could maybe argue this both ways. It's kind of like the right to education. It's not one of the rights listed in the Bill of Rights. Like it's just not. But we talk about the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I would put health as part of life. 
and also part of pursuit of happiness and also part of liberty. Like you can't have any of those if you don't have health. And I do think that it's one of those responsibilities of a country to take care of the health of their citizens. I think there's a variety of ways to do that. But it does feel like sometimes there is a resistance to even that kind of idea. Because if the private sector isn't doing it, then government needs to do it. Like someone needs to do it. And it doesn't feel like there's a push behind it that there should be for this to be a universal human right. So to answer your question, Cass, I think it's a universal human right. Do I think it's a universal human right in the United States right now? No, because I don't think we're prioritizing it to be. And Zach, just so you know, thank you, Erin. I appreciate that because that helps me clarify my question for Zach. I'm not asking you to like argue a position of a villain or something here. I'm genuinely asking. So Dang if it. a person, I know, sorry. <laughs> I genuinely am thinking, okay, let me get in my own bias and understand how I feel. I feel that people should have a basic right, like their health covered and not have to go into crazy debt and financial ruin to be able to seek care for themselves and their family. I'm going to assume that you also don't want that to, those awful things to happen to people. I think that that's just true. And I think if we don't get that out of the way, like we're not arguing carefully and helpful, healthfully. We're not talking about the same, like we are talking about the same thing here. So I just want to get that out of the way. I assume, as always, that you want good for people and for nation and you just want the same things like that. You just think about its implementation differently. So what would you say? Yeah, so my my response is, and, and I like how that we said when we started this episode, we're not going to fix healthcare. And here we are talking about solutions to healthcare. But with that being said, I think that, yes, I, it's not good for the nation to have 17 cents of every dollar being spent on healthcare. Um, that money could be much better spent on other things. The motivation for me is not let's let the people that can't afford it just die or get dragged into crippling debt. Like that's not, I don't, I don't think anybody who's serious would, would advocate for that position. My objection is that I think you shouldn't have people. My objection is, is for, let's take the, the Medicare for all plan, which, which was going to eliminate private insurance. I'm opposed to that because I think that people should have the choice still to choose if they want a certain health coverage. So if I'm young and I find a company that specializes in, you know, emergency care and, you know, I pay more for a routine checkup because I, you know, frankly, I'm young and I don't go to my routine checkups anyway. So it's like for me in my 20s stage of life, this makes sense to me as, as a provider. But, and as for context, Medicare for all or something like it is saying you must all take this one package. Is that true? Yeah. So the 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 plan, like like Bernie Sanders' plan, is this not the case? I thought Bernie Sanders' plan back when he was running in the twenty twenty um, election cycle, his plan was we will eliminate private insurance, and and all health coverage will be done through the federal government. I thought that was the plan. Is that, am I wrong in that? So no, but I wanted to clarify it because Cassie sort of framed the question as you only have this one, like everyone gets the same plan. And I think that could imply everyone has the same like doctor and everything like that. And that's not what it is. It's 
but the insurance would all come basically through the federal government. So what you're saying, Zach, is totally right. And that was Bernie Sanders was like kind of the big person behind the Medicare for all plan, um, which is a single payer system. Mm -hmm. And also Elizabeth Warren. This was one of her big platforms that she ran on as well. So the idea is that the federal government insures that plan, which is what it does for Medicare, you know, which is for 65 and older and Medicaid partially, um, which is for mm -hmm. uh, people who are more are poor. But it depends the qualifications for that depend um, state to state, I think. So and also for the VA, the Veterans Affairs, that's all through the federal government, too. And so the idea is you'd have the insurance there, but then you would go to kind of any doctor you would want under that. And that's the way, for example, it works in Germany is, you know, there's everyone's insured by the federal government, but you can choose which doctors you go to. So that's the thing about the whole choice. It, it's a different choice because you're talking about insurance and I'm talking about doctors. And so you would still have, I think, a lot of choice. You just wouldn't have the, okay, I'm going to choose to buy a plan that, say, costs $100 a month because that's what makes sense for me. You would have to pay whatever the requirement was. So in Germany, it's 15% of your income. Somewhere you know, in the United States, maybe it would be mm. a different kind of amount. Is that right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I just don't think that that... I don't like that idea. I like the, being able to choose if there's a plan that I like that is more appropriate for me. Now, with that being said, I'm, you know, similar to like public schools and things like that. I do agree that I don't, I don't think it is good of us as a nation to ignore those of us who can't afford a private plan or, or are suffering from chronic conditions that don't, you know, allow that stuff to happen. So I do think that a certain level of, of taxpayers subsidizing those who can't do it makes sense. But I don't think that eliminating private insurance is a good solution. And I'll just say that I think that we do have, you know, a right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But I think that if you have a right to health care, there's just this interesting idea that the other rights, you know, such as free speech, don't, they don't impose an obligation on somebody else. And so depending on how the single payer system would be implemented, we would just have to be careful with how it's done. And I don't, I don't like the idea of saying that, okay, now we're going to get rid of private payers and it's all funded through the state. You know, at that point, you're, you're instituting a system of, you know, maybe price controls or rationing. And who's to say that a doctor shouldn't be able to earn if he's outstanding in his field, you know, more than a doctor who's not. Anyway, to summarize, we need to have a net for those who can't afford it on their own or don't have, you know, if they're unemployed or something like that, they should still have an option for health insurance. I think that that perfectly makes sense. I think that eliminating the private insurance option, though, is a mistake. Would you have to eliminate private insurance in order to make, like, I guess, is the, is the, is the consensus, things don't work super well right now, here's a solution, and, and, but it's not, it's not the solution, it's just a solution is eliminating private insurance so that those costs aren't so high? That was the most recent proposal from that I know of. I don't know if Biden has like another one that that's in the works or something like that. But that was the most recent proposal to renovate was the Medicare for all plan, which would eliminate private insurance. So that that was 
Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren's approach. Someone like Pete Buttigieg did not support that approach, and he wanted it to be kind of this dual system that like, you're sort of touching on, Cassie, where you have the state-sponsored insurance, but you also allow people who want to buy private insurance to buy private insurance. This was kind of the idea behind the Affordable Care Act, you know, like let's create exchanges so that insurance companies can compete and then people can get insurance that way. It's The Affordable Care Act is really complicated and I don't understand everything in it, full disclosure. And there's parts of it that have worked and there's parts of it that haven't. One thing that worked is that far more people have insurance now than ever did before, millions more. Um, But one thing that hasn't worked is driving down costs. That's something that hasn't really happened since we had the Affordable Care Act and it's something it was supposed to help do. So to make this a dual system, I do think you could do it. But I think to do it effectively, you have to be able to put regulations in place that I don't see more conservative people being willing to do because they don't like regulation. So when I look at the systems in other countries that have more of this market-based approach, there's a ton of regulations on them. And I think that that could work. But do I think that's like going to be a plan that's going to be endorsed by conservatives? Not really. Um, And I do want to clarify for Biden, I don't think that he was ever on the Medicaid for all plan or Medicare for all plan. I think he was more of the let's fix the problems with the ACA and kind of expand that. That was my impression of his platform there, which was actually one of the reasons a lot of progressives didn't like him because Medicare for all is a super popular idea for progressives, but progressives is kind of the more left part of the party. It's not the whole party. So a lot of people like it, but it's not even all Democrats who like this Medicare for all idea. I actually think it's a great idea. Um, And of all the systems, I'd probably most like that kind of plan. But it also like, I don't think it's realistic to think that we could do that in the United States right now. Maybe someday, but I don't think there's enough appetite for it at this point. I don't know. I think that it's pretty popular, Aaron. It's really hard for me to tell because I feel like I live in a bubble. There's things that I think are really popular and then... Biden wins nine states in the Midwest and South and Bernie and Warren get kicked out in the primary in like one day. You know, mm-hmm. like I thought that was a super popular mm-hmm. idea. Feels like maybe it's not, you know, it's it's hard. To, it's hard for me to tell. I, I think that the that progressive wing of the party does hold a significant amount of sway. And I, I think that my take is give it time <laughs> and and we'll probably get there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not that I think it's not popular, but not popular enough to win right now. That's that's what I think. But this is, and this, mm-hmm. I have a frustration, mm-hmm. and Zach, I would love to know what you think about this. I have a frustration when it comes to healthcare because it does feel like I see more about plans on the Democrat side than I do from Republicans. I know there are Republican plans. Paul Ryan had a health care plan, but that was years ago now at this point. And it feels like there's a lot of yelling, even now, years later, to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just, you know, vote it out. That was like one of Trump's oh platforms yeah. that he ran on. And there was yeah. not a plan. There wasn't a plan to, to bring it back in. And so that's really frustrating to see. It's like, it's broken. And you're going to make it more broken just because you hate this law because it, it was under a Democrat. 
Yeah, it is frustrating uh, on being on the Republican side. You know, I, I, I see every now and then people asking, okay, so we're criticizing the Democrat solution, but like, what's our solution? Um, and, you know, again, here's us not trying to fix the problem. But, you know, I think, I think we have to, I mean, this is my, my conservative side of me is, is, yeah, when I hear the word regulation, I recoil a bit because I don't think that, you know, setting price controls or something like that is, is necessarily the, the right way to fix the problem. But I think that if we can get rid of things, you know, you know, maybe you call it regulations or something like that. But I think that if you can get rid of the loopholes or these perverse incentives of pharmaceutical companies and, you know, insurance companies, things like that to maximize their profits, which, you know, now I've exiled myself from the Republican camp by saying that, you know, if, if you if you do laws, if you create laws that do that, where you know, there's no chance for people to collude or price gouge or, um, you know, lobby or whatever that makes it more in favor of the patient, then I, I would totally be in, in, in favor of those types of reforms. And, you know, one of the things that, that is always in my mind when I'm talking about healthcare specifically is, is a quote from Milton Freeman, who's a, a famous, like kind of libertarian uh, economist is, there's four ways that you can spend your money. You can spend your own money on yourself. You can spend your own money on someone else. You can spend someone else's money on yourself. Or you can spend someone else's money on someone else. To break that down just a little bit is as you go down that list, right? If you're spending your own money on yourself, you care a lot about the price. You care a lot about the quality. Um, you know, it, if you're buying a TV for yourself, you're like, okay, when am I going to find the best deal on this really good TV that I've been looking at for months? You're willing to wait and do the, the research and find the right, you know, exact right TV because you're spending your own hard-earned money on your own TV. Now, if you go down that list and you're spending someone else's money on someone else, you don't really care about the quality. You don't really care about the price. It's not your money and you're not getting it. So that's kind of where I feel like we're at in terms of our healthcare coverage now is our money gets, you know, taken out to an insurance company out of our paychecks. Or, you know, if, if you're buying, you know, um, American Care Act insurance, then you pay in for that. But you're, you're not seeing the price. Hospitals aren't charging you. They're charging the insurance company. They don't care how much it is. Insurance companies don't care how much it is. And they don't really care about the quality. There's an, a study I, I saw that there's a 10, they, somebody found a tenfold difference in costs, meaning it ranged from $10 to $100, but way more than that. Um, a tenfold difference in costs across 53 different hospitals for the same procedure with no correlation between cost and quality of care. So I think that that Milton Friedman quote is really exemplary of me, of my feelings on this is we need to make it so even, God forbid, right? I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm losing all of my Republican credentials, but even if we do go to a state-sponsored system, at least it would be a flat rate with some, hopefully, some type of, of closing of these loopholes for the big insurances companies and big pharma and to you know, squeeze every single penny out of every transaction. Well, I have a couple of other separate things to say. So if you want to respond to that at all, Erin, feel free. No, I agree. I mean, I think that's like, I just appreciate that perspective because it's like, we need to deal with this. 
And so maybe it's not the most ideal plan that lines up with every single conservative value, but like, hopefully that's where our compromise actually comes in and we can build a system that works better. I mean, people forget this, but the Affordable Care Act took like eight months to actually put together and pass. They didn't rush that bill through. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of time. There was lots of attempts at bipartisan effort. I can't remember if any Republicans actually voted for it, but I think they did. And large parts of the bill were actually built off of... I think so. Yeah. I think they did. Yeah. And some parts of the bill were actually built off of um, systems that like Mitt Romney used in Michigan. So, you know, I think that doing a bipartisan effort on this is really possible. I think the problem we get into, and this kind of goes to our like overview question three, like why are people so disagreeing about this, is that we're doing the same thing we do with everything where we silo each other into these camps and people on the left look at people on the right and they think, oh, they have no plan and all they want is a market-based system and that can't work in the US because if we just let markets run wild, like that's not going to protect vulnerable people in a healthcare situation because they're not going to be lucrative enough, right? Like only the really high lucrative costs are going to like win out. And then people on the right Mm -hmm. look at people on the left and they think all they want is universal health care and they don't care about how much it costs. And they're being just really flippant about what they're saying they want and the national debt and all of that, you know? And so, and we're like refusing to see again that we actually want the same thing but we need to come to a compromise about how we're going to do it. And I actually think that we can use aspects of both of these ideas, but we're not doing it. You know, no one is willing to bend on any of this. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest problems. And then related to that is that it is really complicated and people are looking for super simple solutions. And that's not going to work with healthcare. Like it's just not. And so people need to be willing to take the time to make a plan and roll it out in a way that's going to work well. And that doesn't necessarily buy political points because it takes time and it's going to be complicated. You know, I think, you know, given the reality of the situation, if, if we spend 17 cents of every dollar in the United States on um, healthcare uh, and the statistic I have is somewhat in some way or another, 48% of all federal spending is healthcare related. Let's do this. Let's say, uh, you know, it's like a twelve percent of our taxes, right? If 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 we're spending so much money in in taxes anyway, let's say, fine. We have we have federal Medicare for all. Twelve percent of our taxes is going is designated towards that. It's specifically delineated that that's the purpose. Now we have a federal insurance plan, so everybody's covered. In the meantime. We're going to institute some fair market, you know, type deregulation, allow for transparency and pricing, allow for cross state competition, um, you know, have close some of these these loopholes and incentive structures that allow for pharmaceutical companies to charge $100 for an Advil. Like, let's let's let's, you know, OK, I'll give you the the tax and the and the federal system allow for private insurance as well, because I don't think that if you're, you know, necessarily a young kid, you should be paying for, you know, a a billionaire's insurance, right? So allow for private as well, but close some of the perverse incentive structures, and then let's deal with it. And then hopefully the cost can come down, because we're already paying 17 cents of every dollar on medical coverage anyway. So why not? Why not do something and hopefully, lessen the cost. I don't know. 
No, you do know. <laughs> to me, that's one of the best art. That's one of the best arguments is that we're already spending so much. And it's one of the arguments, I think, against the whole like, oh, but we're going to have even more spending thing. Like we are already spending so much money. And I do want to follow up real quick on just the insurance coverage. Like that's also a huge problem that we haven't really talked about that much. But there's still as of 2020, there's 31.6 million people who are uninsured. And this kind of goes back to that same problem of just health in general, because when people are uninsured or when they have really, yeah, it's about 10%, 9.7%. When people are uninsured and, or they have really expensive health care, they don't go get preventative care. And that's one of the big problems too. There was a 2018 poll, um, which was the University of Chicago and West Health Institute. And it said about 40% of Americans said that they didn't uh, do a test or a treatment, they skipped the test or the treatment, and they didn't go to a doctor when they were sick or injured because of cost. 40%, that's almost half, right? And so then you don't have diagnoses. Those are coming later for things like healthcare and chronic diseases, diabetes. And when the diagnoses come later, the uh, diseases are usually worse and you have worse outcomes. So that contributes to poor health, right? So it's, it's, all of these things affect each other. Like not having insurance is not just a problem for like future me, right? Like it actually affects you in the moment. And one of the things that I also wanted to mention just as far as like, okay, you think you're a young, healthy person and you don't want insurance. You actually don't know if you're going to get hit by a car one day and you actually do need insurance that's going to cover that kind of injury, you know? So you're still taking a gamble um, by not buying insurance. And then you know, do you want to say, okay, I'm fine with going thousands of dollars into medical debt so I can buy cheaper insurance on the gamble that I'm not going to have some kind of catastrophic injury? And then you're okay with that medical debt? Or do we want to say, no, the government or not the government, but that, you know, taxes and this system is going to cover something like that, even if you don't buy that insurance, because we don't want people in thousands of dollars of medical debt, because that also affects how you interact in the country, what jobs you want to get, you know, which could affect your overall happiness. Like I'm on a tangent, but all of these things go into how people actually interact in the country. You know, I agree. I think our citizenry is just better off if we can all be healthier and happier. And it doesn't make sense to me that somebody wouldn't believe in that and want to spend money on that. Your own money, like Zach said, that you're already spending. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's just let's not penalize people unduly, right? Like to me, the the Medicare for all plan that Bernie was purporting to to eliminate private insurance, and I don't know the reasoning why, right? I don't know what his rationale is behind that, but I don't like that idea. So I'm I was opposed to that system, but in general, it's like we we cannot be a compassionate nation if we don't have some type of safety net for the people that that can't you know, they don't have the means. So there has to be some way to do it. And it's like, I, I don't think that, you know, I, his, his bill was like crazy expensive is trillions of dollars over, over 10 years. But it, it's like, let's, we, I think we need to have some like really smart accountants come in and try to delineate like what our money is going to. But if we're spending the money, like let's, let's do it in a way that that allows for better coverage and, and close, like I said, closes some of the loopholes. So, And for reference, I just want to mention that those plans with um, 
Elizabeth Warren's plan and Bernie Sanders' plans, which were similar but a little bit different. One of the things that they also took into account is that the insurance, healthcare, healthcare insurance industry is huge in the United States. And if you get rid of it, you're displacing it's something like 1.8 million workers or something. And so their plans had mm. uh, processes for how you would implement that so that you could support all of those people that would then need to basically like get new jobs in other areas. So that was part of it, though. They weren't like blind to the issues it's not just that like you a would Thanos have to snap. deal with. <laughs> no, no. It's like a very intentional kind of long rollout. But I think that's like, I just want to mention that because I think that's another one of those things people sometimes like don't give uh, those plans credit for actually thinking about some of these bigger problems. And I think that th there was intentionality there. Good. I'm glad people are thinking of that. Okay. I have a couple of interesting ones that are on their own topic. First of all, the Mark Cuban pharmacy. Have you guys talked about this or heard about this? I've heard about it, but don't know much. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you guys a background. So Mark Cuban started a pharmacy and basically the idea is that they spent money two years ago in 2020 on 89 generics, um, on developing generics for expensive medications. Um, they spent $96 billion in the program and now they're available through Mark Cuban's low cost pharmacy. The federal government spends over $115 billion per year on prescription drugs through Medicare. If the government were to switch to Mark Cuban's pharmacy, researchers, if the government were to switch to Mark Cuban's pharmacy, researchers estimate it would save taxpayers at least $3.6 billion. Like, that's a billionaire doing things with his money that I can respect. That's absolutely insane. So his pharmacy doesn't accept insurance, um, so it would need to be a little bit of a shift in how it works currently um, because currently federal law prohibits the government from purchasing drugs directly for Part D participants. But Medicare is overpaying for these generic drugs, and this could save billions. So the system would be he takes a standard 15% markup, charges a $3 dispensing fee and a $5 shipping fee or $15 for expedited service. And this is all found through businessinsider.com. So I love this because this is the businessy side of things that my brain can attach to a little bit. Like I just don't understand the greed and the politics of it, but I can understand what they're is a product that exists, which in this case is the drugs that we could be offering at a better price that serves more people and allows better access. And then that in turn saves the government money because if the government were to purchase it from this pharmacy instead of wherever they're purchasing it now with this ridiculously high markup, I mean, everybody wins. I'll be darned. Free market lowers prices. <laughs> Son of a gun. Yeah, I'm looking. I just pulled up the website. It's it's costplusdrugs.com. And there's a pill, um, Gleevec, um, which is $14.40, uh, which is the Cuban cost versus retail price at other pharmacies, $2,502. Oh, so my God. That's like quite an outstanding. Yeah, 
quite an astounding difference in price. And the, you know, I, I could tell you right now when I go into a, a, a store to get, you know, like my, my Kaiser for my coverage to get a, a prescription filled, I don't know how much it costs. I don't know how much each pill costs, you know, for a Tylenol or something like that, that's like over the counter. Sure. But for a prescription, I couldn't tell you, but being able to see here how much it is like, yeah, why would I go through my insurance for that when I could pay for it myself? So that's pretty cool. Okay. So that's my first point of interest. And then the other thing that I've started to see that I think is really interesting is talking about the wellness industry. And the myth that healthcare is, well, let me back up, the wellness industry and the myth that health is expensive. So this was, that title is from a Guardian um, article, but the wellness industry has been cited as being a, I saw a couple numbers, either $1.5 trillion industry or $4.2 or $4.2 trillion industry. It's estimated to have a 5 to 10% growth per year. It's kind of crazy because it's got well-being, straightforward concepts like don't smoke, don't drink too much, do exercise you like, eat a variety of foods, lots of veggies, little processed stuff, see people, do things you enjoy. But it's also got this weird dark side of being expensive and luxurious and complicated and become sort of a consumerist mess. So I thought that that was kind of fascinating, the idea of it being both this very like lovely, nice, attainable thing, being accessing and, and being more aware of and enjoying the pursuit of your own wellness through these different alternative methods, but also that that too is being capitalized on. And one point seven trillion or 4.2 trillion like that's an insanely huge industry where people are sitting around they're like you're all unhealthy good you need this serum (laughs) you need to take this weird random yoga class i just think it's fascinating because these things many of which would probably genuinely help some of us with our mental or physical health but also it's all about money you know, I mean, I think the nice thing is about health, and, and maybe this is more of an education issue than a, a health issue, but you don't need to be, you know, Peloton level wealthy to be in shape. You know, the nice thing is, is like farmer's markets, you can buy green leafy vegetables and, you know, good fresh local produce for really cheap. Like you can buy a lot of food for 20 bucks at a farmer's market. Um, you know, and I, I know that a lot of times like, people tend to make unhealthy choices out of convenience or, um, or cost, but you know, you don't need to shop at whole foods to, to get some kale, right? Like you can get that from your local farmer's market. Um, and it'll be a fraction of, of what the whole foods prices and you don't need, you know, the Peloton to get in shape for exercise. Like you can do step ups on your stairs out front. Like you can go on a run you know, you can do squats, like all of that stuff is free and doesn't cost money. So it's, it, it is a little bit like you can look at it in a cynical way to say, oh, yeah, all these people are taking advantage. And, um, you know, I don't think that they probably look at it that way. But there's an element of some, that, some you know, for sure. Do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But also, you know, if, if you are serious about, you know, getting in, in shape, and I think one of the biggest things that you can do to not suffer the you know, wrath of the, of the medical industry and the healthcare industry is to 
focus your time and energy on uh, on the wellness side of things and taking care of yourself and prevention. And, um, you know, my, my stepmom used to say, like, you're going to pay for it either way, right? You're going to pay f- if you take care of yourself now, maybe it's more expensive. You know, maybe you spend more money on food or exercise right now when you're younger, um, but you end up not spending that money when you're older. Or you can neglect your body and, you know, eat bad food and don't exercise and drink in excess and smoke, but you're going to pay for it when you're older. So it, you know, one, it just, it, it depends on your, your focus, but also depends on your education, right? If you don't know about green leafy vegetables, like that's going to be hard when McDonald's is advertising their salad that is, you know, a thousand calories. So this article in Forbes the title was about how the wellness industry presents a big opportunity for investors, um, which I think is really an interesting side to look at this. But this little excerpt just talks about how the pandemic really highlighted the importance of everyone's health and the waves of mortality in 2020 and 2021 showed that the risk from of death from pandemic disease is very real. And then emphasize the importance of healthy lifestyle habits like eating better and going to the gym, practicing yoga, managing weight, lowering stress levels. And the point is, it's key to predicting the growth of various sectors within the industry because the healthy eating, nutrition, and weight loss sector is the second largest in the industry and accounts for about 22% Mm. of revenue. So that's just a little from the business side. I mean, I think that's great. I do want to recognize, though, that I think there's barriers to entry for that. I mean, even just the context where you in which you grew up might emphasize or de-emphasize workout classes, how you eat, all of those kinds of things. So again, I think we take it for granted a little bit. And I mean, like I feel surrounded by that industry in San Francisco because everyone works out all the time. <laughs> and there's all these fancy gyms and different kinds of classes. It's like a little playground of like fitness in the city. You can do anything. And there's nutritionists, there's all sorts of things. But that's my community. And not everyone has that community, right? And not everyone has, I don't know how far, how accessible a farmer's market is in like some rural area of a state. Maybe it is. I li- but I literally don't know. And so I think there is an access issue. And then if you think about not the wellness industry, that's a little bit different, but like childhood obesity, that's not necessarily a, there, you know, there, a gym class isn't going to solve that probably. Like that goes, there are more fundamental issues with us having childhood obesity. That's very much like diet based and education. And I think we could solve a lot of our problems, especially, you know, later on diabetes and other health conditions, if we could address childhood obesity. Um, so yeah, like I, I think the wellness, Mm -hmm. I'm glad the wellness industry is booming and I think it should be. And I am glad there's a, a desire for it and that the market's driving it. I still think it's expensive and inaccessible to some people. Yeah, I agree. And, and like Zach said, it's, it's really hard because some people don't have the money and so they're sitting there going, okay, maybe sometimes I'll get a salad from McDonald's, but they, they just don't know, like the education might not be there. Um, you might not grow have grown up. I mean, there are people in my own family that there's certain people who don't eat certain foods because their parents didn't serve certain foods. And so they don't like those foods. And those foods might be vegetables <laughs> and fruits and really help them maintain a healthy lifestyle, but they don't know. And then there's, again, it's, it's an expense thing. Um, we're heading into, we're, we're in a recession. We're about to be in a recession. The cost of things are going up. And so some people are having to sit there and stretch their dollars at the grocery store and they have to just spend money 
on what feeds their family. And sometimes produce is not the thing that makes it into the cart. It's also a time thing. You know, if you have, say, back-to-back jobs or something, you're going to stop and pick up something that's quick to eat. And that's, you know, cheap in the middle of that. And there's, um, there's a lot of data on people who have less money being less healthy for a variety of reasons. But time, sleep, stress, access to healthy foods, all of those are factors involved there. So I totally agree. We need to be way more focused on how we actually build health long-term in the country and don't just respond to problems, Mm -hmm. like health problems when they come. That's one of the things I think the U.S. does the worst. But in addressing that problem, I think we need to recognize that that's going to require some investment in these more vulnerable populations and not necessarily expecting that you know, everyone's going to be able to make that change on their own. Yeah, I just saw a TikTok. It was someone showing another person's TikTok. And so the first person was standing in an aisle at a Costco in the frozen section, pointing to what I think was like a ready-made grilled cheese. So it had the bread and the cheese and the bread. And they were standing there mocking it, being like, how lazy can you be? that you need to buy these frozen grilled cheeses. People, what are Americans coming to? Like, this is why, but like they were having a full on rant about it and you can giggle and, or maybe you agree, but I always appreciate the other side. So the perspective of the person who was talking about that person's video was saying, what you might've meant to say is, oh, I can see that the person who purchases this might have kids that are home alone sometimes that have to make their own meals. Maybe they are a single parent working multiple jobs and this is a, a easy to make, cheap way to feed their family. Like you, you just don't know. And so to sit here and say, and this is kind of where I got fiery at the beginning of our conversation, this is where I get frustrated when we say, people's personal responsibility outweighs other things because it doesn't like if they're if this is like the only way that they can take care of their family is like making sure that the oldest kiddo can pop a grilled cheese in the microwave like I just don't think that that's the problem I think the problem is bigger than that it is bigger but but also like it we all I mean that can't be a a reason to not hold ourselves accountable yeah, it's it's not a cop out of telling people you don't need to be aware yeah. of this, but I think it's recognizing, okay, maybe that does take more public health campaigns, which costs money, right? Like it's it's all of those right. maybe we need more government resources, maybe we need to invest in nutritionists for schools. Like those are all sorts of things that we could do, but it's going to require investment. And I think one of the things, you know, we talked about you talked about the the wellness industry, but one of the things that I think is another side benefit is that, you know, the price of organic food and stuff, maybe not now because inflation, but now that, you know, consumers are demanding more healthier options, like you're seeing more people get involved in the organics game and you have different certifications and things like that for people who are looking for those, you know, really healthy options, not the craft, you know, now with zero trans fats option, like you're still eating like sugar and wheat but genuinely healthy options, like there's more choice for that. And and because there's more choice, you you t- tend to have those prices come down. I remember prices used to be way higher for certain organic foods and they're just, they're better now. They're still more expensive than the, the non-organic option, but I think that it is improving and um, 
you know, I, I think that, like I said, in, to start out, like that's those, these things that we're talking about now are like education problems, not healthcare problems. Like they're, they overlap, but the solution is different. I always go back to education. Well, I, you said craft and now I'm thinking about mac and cheese. And so I'm thinking maybe we wrap it up so I can get a snicky snack. That is not a healthy option. Uh, I know, but I had meat and veggies for dinner, so I was fairly healthy. Yeah, I definitely had pizza. (laughs) It's my unhealthy option. No, I think we're good. For for this being kind of an intimidating topic, just because of how complicated it is, that was a really great discussion. Liked it. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, this was something I didn't know as much about, and I appreciate that we kind of talked about how people – Think about the healthcare debate, where some disagreement arises, why it's so expensive, how you actually get healthcare insurance, and why some other countries have a different system than the way we have it here in the United States. I would love to hear what you listeners thought. So if you want to follow along with us, we are on Instagram at ReframersPod. We're also on Facebook. We have a website, ReframersPod.com, and you're welcome to email us at ReframersPod at gmail.com. So we will be taking requests for our upcoming episodes. And if you have any comments or questions about this one, please feel free to reach out. And seriously, go check out the website. It is designed and made by our very own sole producer and co-host, Cassie. She totally did a a great job with the website. So if you haven't, go check that out. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal resource. And you can also check the episodes there as well. You're sweet. And just because I mentioned it earlier, I told you guys I left my job at the beginning of the year. I am now doing websites and social media design for small businesses. So if you happen to have a business or know of one that could use a little refresh, feel free to reach out. Okay, that's it for me. Erin? I just say use Cassie. She's amazing. <laughs> Got a plug for her because she's great. Okay, that's it for us today. Thanks, Reframers. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Reframers Pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please rate and review us five stars and subscribe so you can always catch our latest episode. You can also find us on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Reframers Pod. And you can email us at reframerspod at gmail.com. 